This episode of Deep in the Weeds is proudly supported by Olsen Salt, makers of Australian sea salt since 1948. I was really planning on taking a, a, a really decent break from, um, from, from the industry in a day-to-day sort of running of a, of a, of a restaurant. And um, the only thing that changed my mind is I saw what I believe is the best site for a restaurant in the eastern suburbs. And it felt like I wasn't looking for it. And, and, and it found me, and what I found was um, what I think is going to be my new home. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. A year ago, I called Neil Perry and told him I was starting a podcast to try and make sense of what the hell was happening. Two hours later, we hit record. It was that fateful week where Australia went into lockdown and the hospitality industry closed its doors, being forced to only do takeaway. It was exactly a year ago to the day that very first episode came out. 225 episodes later, Deep in the Weeds has listened all over the world, and Neil Perry, one of our culinary legends, has had a life-changing year too. Neil, how are you? I'm good, Hux, and you? I'm good. It's a little different circumstances to the last time we did this, um, it's been a bit of a changing year. How, 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 how are you feeling, like looking back, thinking that that time was a year ago? Yeah, mate, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, wow, it was like walking into the darkness and we didn't know what was going to happen. And, uh, you know, when I was talking to you a year ago, we didn't know whether we'd be opening restaurants up, you know, in 2020 or now in 2021. It was it was looking like uh, the message from the government was, you know, hunker down till September. Nothing much is happening till then. Um, so, so it was really the case of the unknown. And you know, as you said, it happened so quickly. And about about this time, sixteenth, seventeenth, something like that, um, we were we were kind of moving towards social distancing, one and a half square metres, then four square metres per person. And, you know, then on the Sunday night time, we'd close on Monday. So uh, it was really an extraordinarily fast changing of events. And I I remember watching, I think on about the 13th or 14th of, of March, the 2020 Women's World Cup, where there was 90,000 people at the SCG. Um and then you think about what happened in the ensuing two weeks. Uh, it's it's just mind blowing. Um, but here we are on the other side. Aren't we happy to be here? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, life is still, you know, COVID still, you know, obviously globally a massive issue. Australia, we've been relatively protected from it all, but the industry still has its restrictions and um, it still has its challenges. You've you've had some extraordinary changes in your life in the last year you've decided to retire to some degree um and um and then also not retire which we can get to uh, shortly (laughs) yeah um but you know one of the most amazing things that we haven't had a chance to talk about is hope delivery and and what you created there and the impact that it had can can you tell us a bit about that well, it was really a response to, uh, to to what was going on at the time. It was very clear that JobKeeper was going to be created to help uh, 
help uh, employees and employers stay connected during the lockdown and during the dark times. Um, and it was a great initiative by the government, but it had some holes. One of the big holes was that there was no safety net at all for visa staff. So it didn't matter whether you were a skilled visa staff member making home Australia and on the way to permanent residency or a work holiday visa holder or, or, or indeed a student visa holder, you were getting no support whatsoever. And as you know, Huck's in the restaurant industry, our, our beautiful visa people are so important and integral to the lifeblood of the industry, really, and, and they're such an important part. And and uh, so, you know, I was kind of saying some stuff to to um, essentially to to the government just sort of on, on Instagram and, and, and shouting out saying, please, please, please think about these amazing people who live in Australia and call Australia home. And as some form of support because it's really inhuman and un-Australian. And um, due to Bruin, who was filming me and also does all my publicity and, and a few other business things, is just said to me, look, you know, you, you really got to stop just talking about something and, you know, and do something because, you know, you, you know, you can chef if you can do it. Anyone can do it. You can. And I, and I thought, well, you know, she's absolutely right. And, 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 you know, we've been trying to feed some of the guys and, and it just, I just sort of realized that we had like three ingredients. I mean, everyone had two, they had, they had staff and the infrastructure of a kitchen that they weren't using. Um, but, but they didn't have the third thing. And that was something that Trish and I had set up a long time ago, which was the Rockpool Foundation. And it had been audited for seven years by uh, KPMG. And so, you know, it was a fully functioning audited charity and people could give. And it was amazing. I rang up Lucy Turnbull, actually, and I said to her, Lucy, you know, who should I be chatting to at, at – at, um, you know, I know Clover, but you know, is there someone at the at the uh, city chambers who looks after this sort of thing and, and is responsible for the homeless or works with Oz Harvest or whatever? And she said, "What are you trying to do?" And I explained it, and I said that you know we really want to sort of create meals for our incredible visa staff who you know have really got enough to worry about without worrying about feeding themselves and. And she said, oh, Neil, that's amazing. So, um, you know, Malcolm and I would love to donate $20,000, which was extraordinary. And she started and then Chris Hadley jumped in and then Amex and Daryl Lee and, and HSBC and uh, Lexus jumped on board. And, you know, it just sort of uh, just mushroomed from there. And the New South Wales state government jumped on board through Destination New South Wales. And we raised about $400,000, $450,000 in the space of about th- three weeks um, and we started in Sydney and Melbourne, and we we you know served three hundred thousand meals um, last year. Uh, and what was extraordinary about the Melbourne experience, actually, Hux, was that you know we we actually worked because the city was pretty isolated in the early days here in Sydney. So we we worked through Oz Harvest because I had a, a long relationship with Ronnie Khan and actually done the first fundraisers that got her first truck on the road 15 years ago. So she helped us get meals out to refugees and to visa holders and to homeless and women, children shelters. But down in Melbourne, we were there in South Melbourne at Crown, right in the middle of essentially a huge population of student visas, hospitality workers in South Melbourne where there's so many apartments. And we were having a thousand people a day line up to pick up food and that was awesome for my team because they were in the middle of a, of a, of a second four-and-a-half-month lockdown. And they got to come in, work together, um, have some camaraderie with their workmates, 
but put meals together, pack them, and then hand them out to people who are really desperate at Riverside. And so for their mental health, it was really extraordinary. It did such a great thing for them. Um, and I'll you know, be grateful for the, for the fact that we managed to put it together. How many people were involved to pull that sort of thing together? Like 300,000 meals is extraordinary. Well, we had quite a few in Sydney at the beginning on JobKeeper, and then we really fell away to the point where it was running on a few key staff and volunteers. So we had some fantastic volunteers, uh, many of which had come from my relationships with Qantas. They came from down from HSBC. Um, people were calling by or reading about us in the paper and, and, um, and coming and volunteering. And sometimes they'd come and have a look, and then all of a sudden we'd be seeing them three times a week. So it was really extraordinary. And on any one day, we probably had about 20 people involved um, in Sydney and 20 in Melbourne feeding um, feeding all of our, our people who, who were in desperate need. And, you know, the need hasn't changed. And, and if anything, the sort of uh, people who've jumped under the, under the poverty line of, of, of has increased in Australia. And so it's, um, it's, you know, JobKeeper's just about to finish. So it'd be interesting to see what happens at the end of the month with businesses that have really been running um, off that. But, uh, yeah, that was an extraordinary experience for sure. What, what sort of impact did it have on you and the decisions that you made for yourself during the last year, which we can touch on shortly, but did that experience with Hope Delivery, did that have an impact on you? Well, it really made me feel proud that, to, that, that, you know, the human spirit is so amazing and that people care about each other so much. And I, and I hope if one thing comes through this incredible pandemic that has, you know, stopped the world in its tracks is that hopefully, um, you know, the whole consumerism uh, of the Western world and, and the me, me sort of attitude of people and, and everyone can breathe a little bit more deeply and recognise that, you know, you, you, you don't need a lot to get by. And if you're actually helping others, it's um, a much more rewarding experience than, than necessarily just lining your own um, pockets, I suppose, or or buying, you know, a dozen pairs of this, that or the other thing. So I'm, I'm kind of hoping that the focus on community um, and the fact that we all work together so hard through COVID kind of sticks a little bit. Um, one of my great hopes, although I'm not outrageously hopeful because it doesn't seem to make much difference, but I, I really enjoyed the fact that, that most governments around the world and certainly the Morrison government um, relied very heavily on the science uh, and, and, and pushed that point very hard. And, and we as Australians responded to that, which was absolutely brilliant. So we responded to the science in a health crisis. Why wouldn't we respond to the science in a climate crisis? So I'm kind of hoping that at some stage we as Australians recognise that science is science, whether it's talking about climate or health. Um, and the health of the globe is the health of humanity. So I'm really hoping that some of the folk in the right of the Morrison government and, and generally speaking, most people wake up to the fact that the world is a diminishing resource and we need to look after it um, and then it'll be there for our children and our grandchildren. But the reality of the way that we're going at the moment is that they seem to want to put their hands around the science in one thing and push it away when it doesn't suit them in the other. And I think that just you know, doesn't belittle's belief. And I, I, I often think that we're an amazing, and COVID's proved it, we're an amazing, fantastic, small country full of incredible people and amazing ideas and, and you know, clean, green pastures and seas and amazing produce. And, and, and why wouldn't we lead the world in women's rights and why wouldn't we lead the world 
uh, on how we relate to our Indigenous people because we are Australians and we define ourselves because of them. Why wouldn't we lead the world in climate change and sustainability? <clears throat> and and just like we would try to, to, to lead it in science or design or development or arts. I mean, all those things. We, we, we want to be the world's best, you know, rugby team, cricket team. Um, we want to win every goal we possibly can in the Olympics. Why would not we want to set the example for the rest of the world on what you can do if you really try? Not only have restaurants been heavily impacted, but airlines obviously have been affected in a huge way. Uh, you you have an ongoing role with Qantas. Um, what are you hearing about Qantas and, and moving forward with international travel? Well, first off, it's an amazing, amazing management team. So Alan got that in great shape and borrowed enough money to kind of survive anything. And we've sort of survived some very trigger-happy governments um, in in the state regime. I mean, I'm lucky enough to live in New South Wales where, where St. Gladys um, reigns. But... Uh, We've had sort of in Qantas the, the legs chopped from underneath us several times on some pretty small outbreaks when you think about it. Um, and at one stage, I thought I'd just burn my Australian passport and just see if, if we could get New South Wales ones. But one of the great things at the moment with how we've gone, with the vaccine rolling out, um, and, you know, we're definitely back. And, and you know, I think if we put away a great... Uh, Easter with no closures and we sort of get really motoring in 2021, you know, you are going to see the bubbles open up. You're going to see, um, you know, places that like Singapore and New Zealand and Fiji and, and, and places in, in Asia that are doing, doing really, really well. And then you'll see the vaccine kick in. So we'll definitely be flying uh, middle of the next financial year to, to um, some places. And I think, you, you know, we'll really hit the accelerator button when everybody in Australia is vaccinated and um, the government feels comfortable with, you know, bringing the borders down so that people can travel again. Very important for our industry as well because at the moment we're, we're struggling madly with um, labour. So we need people to come back into the country uh, to be able to start skilled migration again and visas and get our visa, skilled visa guys back. We need travellers um, agriculture needs travellers, agriculture needs students um, working as we do in the industry. So obviously the higher learning um, sector need, needs them because there's an incredibly uh, profitable exporter for Australia in education. And so we're, we're in, in one way we're in fantastic shape and in the other way we're, we're probably yet to see the ramifications of the, of the border closures. It's just coming now really. Um, so... I know unemployment's a little higher than what we'd like it to be, but in our industry, we're not, we're, we're the, the, the need for workers is extreme. This episode of Deep in the Weeds is proudly supported by Olsen Salt, Australia's oldest family-owned salt company. It's probably one of the most sustainable industries on earth. There have been uh, salt fields in Africa and Europe for thousands of years that they're still taking salt off. And, you know, the product is beautiful and I'm really proud of it. Hi, I'm Alex Olson from Olson Sea Salt. Salt all over the world can taste differently and that's because salt has character in the same way that a wine has character from where it's grown. So salt from the Air Peninsula has a very fresh, clean, crisp flavour that some of the best chefs in Australia appreciate. 
My father took 10 years to develop the sea salt flakes and he didn't want to release them until they were good enough to be put on the world stage. And this is a justification of that 10 years of hard work that he put into making the sea salt flakes world standard and an affirmation to him that what he did and all those plans and all that hard work has not been in vain. For more information, go to olsons.com.au. During the last year, you shocked everyone in the culinary world with news of um, stepping back and retiring from roles at, with Rockpool. And I remember uh, Corey Costello, who appeared on our sibling podcast, The Crackling, mentioned that Neil's idea of retirement is to come into the restaurant every single day. <laughs> Something like that, yeah. <laughs> in, um, in the dictionary, retirement is defined as the action or fact of leaving one's job and ceasing to work. What's your definition of retirement? Um, well, well, basically I was, I was, you know, I'm a shareholder of the Rockpool Dining Group, a very proud one. I, I, I'm founder of the, you know, Rockpool Group with Trish and m- m- many of our staff are still there doing a fantastic job, you know, Corey in particular and Andy and all those guys and Cat in the Floor and Jamie and so forth. And and um, and so I, I wanted to step back from the day-to-day running of the business and you know concentrate on hope delivery and also just maybe you know sort of clear my head a little bit um and uh and i was really planning on taking a a a really decent break from um from from the industry in a day-to-day sort of running of 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 a restaurant and um the only thing that changed my mind is i saw what i believe is the best site for a restaurant in the eastern suburbs and and I, I saw it again. Um, G was involved in this because she uh, uh, has a, a relationship with the um, uh, developer Charles Mellick and, and Palace Group, and uh, she introduced uh, Charles and I. And um, and uh, you know, one, I just straight away recognised that it was um, just the most extraordinary. Uh, most extraordinary site. And they say in restaurants, location, location, location. They're the three most important things. Then you work on everything else. So I saw that and then I met Charles and and, and PK, who uh, Patrick Keenan and Dan Gallen, the three partners in, in Palace Group. And, you know, I think, I think all business relationships are important if they start with a proper foundation of a relationship at the beginning and one that you'd suspect you'd like to not just do something with, but long-term. And um, I just was very impressed with the guys and the plan that they have for Double Bay and and just the family manner in which they ran their business. And so from thinking, yeah, it's not going to, it's going to be a while before I get into the business again, if I do it all, uh, to thinking, wow, this site is just too good to give up. And, and, um, and then the relationships with these guys is, is fantastic. So, I think, you know, it just made perfect sense. So it felt like I wasn't looking for it and, and, and it found me and what I found was um, what I think is going to be my new home. Wow. Um, well, can you tell us a bit about, you know, what you want to do there? You say the location is extraordinary. Um, tell us a bit about why that, why that is and, and how different this will be to things that you've done before. Yeah, well, the location's incredible because it's on Bay Street in Guilfoy, and so it sits right looking at what is the real village part of Double Bay. And and it's Double Street frontage. It faces north, so it gets 
pretty much beautiful sun all day, double ceiling height. So it's really super prominent. Uh, it's next to one of the, you know, the great kind of local pubs, the Royal Oak in, in Double Bay, looks over to the Cosmopolitan, looks over to the park at Guilfoyle, looks down Knox Street. And um, it's just, I think, the most perfect location in this incredible village that Double Bay is because it's sort of the, at the heart and, and the centre of, of the eastern suburbs and five minutes from the city. And I want to create a real kind of world-class um, suburban restaurant, a, a real neighbourhood joint where people – drop in and have a glass of wine, um, come and have a burger one day, maybe have some oysters in the afternoon, maybe a bit of roast chicken on a six o'clock on a Thursday night, and then might come back on Saturday with the family because it's uh, dad's birthday and they'll celebrate. So, and, and, you know, we've got some really great corporates in the, in the upstairs in the building next door. And it's like, if there's a great deal done by the fund managers, I want them down, you know, drinking a great bottle of Burgundy and, and getting into the to the big steaks or the big chicken or the, the caviar. So, you know, it, it's going to be uh, along the line. I'd love I'd love people to think about it the way San Francisco people think about Cafe Zuni or people love the, love the River Cafe in London. And you know, they're they're the sorts of sorts of things. Union Square Cafe in New York, that Gramercy Tavern. That that's the way I want it to feel. And and um, you know, to me, uh, it's sort of like you know, it's to me, it's about. Uh, you know, if you, if you, whether you're dropping down for, you know, a glass of wine, a cocktail, um, something off the grill, a sandwich, a burger, an oyster, uh, I just basically want people to be blown away by the simple sophistication of it because it's all about the quality of the produce and the, and the craft and the cooking. So that, that's, that's sort of what, what I want it to be. You created some of the best restaurants Australia has ever had, um, is there differences in trying to create a great local compared to the likes of Rockpool Bar and Grill or or the original Rockpool? I think they just have to become more and more accessible. Of course, you know, Bar and Grill was more accessible than Rockpool because the bar was there and you could come in and just have the bar food. That that, that, that made it accessible. And I think it was accessible because you could sit in that – well, you can sit in that amazing room and have a glass of wine and a bowl of pasta or, you know, you can have the – Best steak in the world, essentially. Um, in the in, this, in the whole neighbourhood thing, uh, I think also what's super important is just the way that you create that feeling of hospitality, that just that sense of generosity and that sense of of coming in into your own extension of your own home. Almost, it's like it's local, so you want to feel like you belong. Um, and that and that's the sense and feeling I want people to feel there that it's kind of an extension of their kitchen table and and we're there to make their life simple and easy and delicious and and for them to have fun and for them to kind of utilize it at any time of day and do what they what they want to do. Have you been piecing the team together? I know when um, Phil Wood made his announcement to come back to Sydney, there was rumours around that it was because you were opening a restaurant and you guys have spent a lot of time working together. Do you, do you, do you have your team together and are those, those rumours untrue? Oh yeah, no, no, no. Phil and I, I, I love <laughs> Phil and I'd work with him a heartbeat. But, but, but I mean, you know, Phil's still got, um, you know, a, a fine dining three hat restaurant in him and, um, and uh, that's not where this is going to be or, or I want it to be. So, so uh, you know, I've got a few key people slotted in and then I'll start advertising about April, May and then, uh, you know, we'd love people to come and see us and we'll, the, the ad will probably just run, you know, good food, good wine, good culture if you'd like to work there, you know, come and see us. So um, it's, it's where it's, – it's, that's, that's the way we want to put it together. And, um, 
importantly, uh, you know, it's the first restaurant in my entire career and I've been involved in ownership since 1983. It's the first restaurant that I'll ever have owned by myself. Wow. How do you feel about that? Well, when I saw the first budget, I wasn't feeling very well, but I've managed to take about $300,000 out of the $3.3 million build. So, um, uh, yeah, it's no, it's good. It has its moments and um, the bank's been very supportive and uh, it feels good and it, and it feels the right time and the right reason um, for the name and for everything that I'm, I, I want to, you know, do with it. So... So yeah, it, it's 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 also um, a time in my life where I want to kind of just I'm going to do a lot of other things as well because I can never sit still. But but um, it's going to be my restaurant home for sure, and I'll I'll spend a lot of hours there and um, and spend a lot of time with my customers and and the team. You've been through a lot of uh, global crises throughout your career of varying degrees. What has COVID taught you that you hadn't learned before? Well, I, 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 you've never seen the worst of it yet, I'd say. But, but <laughs> having seen <clears throat> so many things happen to the industry and the world, actually, um, I never thought I would see, you know, after living through, uh, you know, SARS and, and um, you know, bird flu and then 9-11 and, um, you know, the financial crisis and lots of local things that happened, GST, superannuation, um, that from a business perspective, I guess, and, and um, uh, FBT and, um, and, and uh, breath testing and, you know, all the sorts of things that actually had impacts on the, on the, on the restaurant industry and then obviously the global impacts, impacts like 9-11 and SARS and, um, you know, having never been, been through, um, been through you know, obviously seen a few wars around me like Vietnam and crazy shit that's still going on in the world today, but um, nothing like closing the entire world down, stopping economies, um, stopping businesses, stopping people's livelihoods, uh, people dying, um, terrible, terrible deaths and people being very sick. And, you know, I, I could only imagine what it would have been like in America and, and Europe, for instance, and UK at the height of uh, being, a, being a health worker at the height of the crisis and going to work every day. I mean, it would be like being in the theatre of war. I mean, that was just just um, horrific to even think of it. So what people have been through is, you know, really extraordinary. But I do think that we just have an amazing spirit and an amazing ability to rebound people. Uh, it's, it's, it's interesting because I, I, I think back to history and you go, well, you know, World War One was a horrific loss of life. And then hot on the heels of that, they had um, a pandemic exactly like ours, but there were only... 1.5 billion people on earth and 50 million died. So the effect of that must have been extraordinary. And and then when you think there's 8 billion today and, you know, how many have died compared to that? And, and of course, you, you then say, okay, well, the, in 1920, they called the 20s the roaring 20s. So if they were able to come back roaring and have a great time and, you know, almost a time of excess, um, then, then I think human spirit's amazing. So I think we're, you know, going to be able to rebound. And Australia, it looks good. I mean, our, I think I think in our industry, the Achilles heel is going to be staff. That's going to be the major problem at the moment. Um, and we need to start talking to governments about that. It's going to be difficult until all the visa staff start coming. But <clears throat> it's uh, it's hard to keep up. And I know all the kids at Rockpool and Spice and 
so forth are all um, you know strained by by just not being able to have enough people on the floor or in the kitchen. You mentioned doing other things other than the new restaurant to keep busy. You've been partnering with some producers to develop some new products uh, recently. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, yeah. Well, Matt, I, I try to draw a circle around my life, and so if, if something doesn't doesn't fit into it, I don't do it. So if it fits into it, I get involved. So. Generally speaking, it's usually got to do with quality, purity, and sustainability. And so for me, um, uh, working with Copper Tree Farms on the new butter that's just come out, I just think it's most likely one of the best butters in the world. It's certainly the best butter in Australia and New Zealand. Um, And, you know, we take the absolute top 10% of the um, A2 cream um, off a single herd and beautiful culture, churned, the quality of the butter, the sweetness, the grassiness, the acidity through the culture. The creme fraiche is off the charts, actually. It's unbelievable. So so um, that's something that I'm heavily involved in. And then I'm just working with the East 33 guys because oysters are one of my favourite things. You know, it's like having the champagne of oysters. You know, we we have a defined coastline where the, the best oysters in the world grow. That's all, that's all you can do with it. And to me, I've tasted oysters all around the world, and the best by far is is the Sydney Rock. So, so, um, so to get involved with those guys uh, was really easy, and 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 I've been chatting to guys like Cobram uh, from Boundary Bend, who are doing the best hodgy extra virgin olive oil in Australia. They're you know quite amazing, um, and and that's the sort of stuff you know Qantas Australian icon, world class airline. Uh, they're the sorts of things that I, I like to do. And so, you know, when I just wrote my latest book, which we're just putting the finishing touches on at the moment, will be out in October. Um, that, again, started out as a sort of small project and I turned it into, you know, 470 pages of, of oh, wow. everything, everything I love to cook, which is what it's called. So, um, so uh I usually don't think to do things like by half, but I, I like to be <laughs> I like to be involved with the the right sort of thing. And then I've got another little project I can't talk about yet, but which is really extraordinary and it's going to blow people's mind in Sydney. Um, so so yeah, the, it's, it's just always making sure that the things that you get involved in you can believe in and um, add value to you know the the proposition which is your life. What you you know it's your it's your core values. You uh, jokingly sort of uh, alluded to burning your passport because of the lack of international travel, but <laughs> we're certainly exploring. Mate, that, that wasn't the reason. That was because these crazy <laughs> buddy state premiers keep closing down, you know, state borders because somebody gets a sneeze. You know, it's just <laughs> extraordinary. Gladys has, ma- has managed the health crisis, the mental health crisis, and the economic crisis like juggling three balls so beautifully. Um, she's been the uh, the standout premier in Australia for sure. The exploration of our uh, local restaurants and local tourism will come to the fore over the next year or so until we can open the the doors again. You've been around for a while and been a massive influence on our culinary landscape. What do you love about where we're at in regards to food in Australia? Well, I think firstly about the travel. I think it's great that Australians are kind of being forced a little bit to discover their own backyard because Australia is the most extraordinary country and I've been lucky to travel all over it. Um, so I, I know how great it is and how diverse it is and, and how beautiful it is. So I just, I'm just so happy that by, by, 
by chance, um, Australians are being forced to, to, to look at it, which is great. Look, I think the best thing about Australian food is the amount of amazing young Australians and amazing young people from around the world who've come to call themselves Australians have gotten together and, you know, true multiculturalism, embracing our amazing first Australians, native ingredients in our food these days in a really uh, sustainable, proper proper way that, that has culinary um, merit, not, not cringe and... And, and along with a, a, a desire to understand um, our, our Indigenous cultures. And, you know, when you've been from a country that's got 60,000 years in continual culture, which is like one of the only countries in the world, if not the only country, and we're just so blessed. It, it, we really have to make sure that when we say Australia, we mean the entire um, population of Australia and, the, and, the, and, and all that we're, we're able to be because we define a lot of our uniqueness through the country that we live in and the people who were here first. So that's a really amazing thing. And then the incredible ingredients that we have here and the stuff that comes out of the sea and the rivers and the things that we grow here are absolutely world-class. And, and of course, you know, now we, we have, you know, the sort of when I look, when I say now, I mean, Having, having worked in restaurants since 1976 and having grown up right through the 80s, 90s, you know, 2000s, and now, now, the, now into the 2020s, um, you know, seeing the country and the skill levels and the service levels and the intent and design and the ability of people to create great restaurant experiences compared to where we were 40 years ago, is really amazing, and and um, it, we should be proud of what we do here in Australia. It's 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 phenomenal, and um, we do lots of amazing things here. And uh, it'd be great for a lot of Australians to go visit it and, and see what goes on. Well, Neil, it's always an absolute pleasure to catch up with you. You're, as I said, you are a legend of our culinary landscape, but you're also just a bloody legend. Um, <laughs> Thanks, mate. We, um, very much looking forward to the new restaurant and the new book and this secret project that we're not allowed to talk about yet. Yes, yeah, 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 secret, secret business. Yeah. Um, <laughs> mate, thank you so much. Um, it's been a hell of a year, and thank you for starting this all off for us with Deep in the Weeds and um, being a part of. Pleasure, mate. And congratulations on uh, pulling it off. I remember you were talking about it and we did it and you started doing it. And when you get to 10 and, you know, 20 and 50 and 100 and then 200, you know, it's amazing what you've done, mate. Well, I've turned grey now, so there's, there's that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why it's a podcast, right? You don't have to <laughs> worry about it. <laughs> I, have a, I have a face for radio. Uh, mate, exactly. Well, good luck with everything. Great to catch up again. And um, Yes, mate. Keep, keep in touch and uh, we'll catch up soon. Awesome. I sure will. Thanks, Hugs. See you, buddy. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we share the stories of Australia's hospo community, suppliers and producers in search of hope during this pandemic. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.